Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. This is Paul Brennan, PGA professional with Believe in Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Our show is a breakdown of all things golf in the volunteer state. We will cover men's and women's golf tournaments professional amateur events and dive into junior golf as well we will talk to the players the instructors and the organizers if you enjoy the show please subscribe and read the show on itunes you can also find us on your favorite directories spotify google play stitcher lunaire and tune in you can find us at believe.com or at believe podcast you can also follow me on instagram at pbrandon21 or on twitter at qic underscore golf pro so time has changed there's no more after work golf so it's all about squeezing in on your lunch breaks and on uh the weekends but we did have a tournament this week the tennessee challenge cup where the t pga the tennessee pga plays against the tj the tennessee golf association so it's the pros versus the ams the teams are made up of professionals and amateurs through points events through the year uh, by playing in events, finishing high enough in the points list, you accumulate points as the gear goes through, uh, and they take the top 10 off of the regular professional and amateur events, uh, and then they take the top 6 off of the senior professional and amateur events. So it's a 16-person team competing for events. This year, the team consisted of, on the professional side first, Lauren Personette, Chris Dibble, Raxton Hunter, Greg Wyatt, Andrew Bateman, Audie Johnson, Jake Reeves, Bobby Cochran, Adam Forge, Scott Masters, Casey Flanagan, Jared Melson, Johan Koch, Bill Breen, Glenn Hudson, and Mark Hauser. Moving to the TGA side, Stuart Smith, Philip Lee, Buzz Fly, Braden Ware, Steve Gauger, Matt Cooper, Jack Morse, Connor McKay, Oliver Simonson, Lucas Armstrong, Mike Albanetti, Todd Bergen, Matt Mitchell, Lee Maxwell, Tim Jackson, and Jeff Gallier. First round events were the four ball. This is where they'll put the teams together in twosomes. Uh, per player, they'll play the Two of the Tennessee PGA guys will play against the two of the TGA guys. Complete match play, best ball format. Uh, first round, Bateman Cochran went 5-4 and four over Mitchell and Simonson. Dibble and Melson tie Smith and Fly. Breen and Hauser lose 2-1 and one to Jackson and Steve Gauger. Johnson and Personette lose 4-2 and two to Albanetti and Jeff Gauger. Hudson and Reeves win one up over Maxwell and Armstrong. Flanagan and Forge win five and four over McKay and Morse. Hunter and Coke win two and one over Cooper and Bergen. Masters and Wyatt lose seven and six to Lee and Ware. So after the four ball match, the Tennessee PGA is up four and a half to three and a half. Moving into the foursomes, uh, now this is the alternate shot format. The 
competitors will choose odd or even. So uh, if I was to choose the even holes, I would tee off on two, four, six, eight, uh, and my partner would tee off on one, three, five, and you alternate shots from there. So going into the foursomes match, Hauser and Melson lose to Abinetti and Smith. Dibble and Personette lose to Jeff Gallier and Buzz Fly. Cochran and Wyatt lose to Cooper and Mitchell. Breen and Johnson tie Jackson and Steve Gallier. Hunter and Bateman lose to McKay and Morris. Orgy and Reeves lose to Simonson and Armstrong. Coke and Masters lose to Lee and Ware. And Flanagan and Hudson Hudson lose to Maxwell and Bergen. The TGA wins seven and a half to a half of the eight possible points. So the alternate shot really got the guys. So now moving into the singles. Mark Hauser loses to Stuart Smith. Glenn Hudson loses to Philip Lee. Bill Breen wins over Buzz Fly. Johan Koch wins over Braden Ware. Jared Melson loses to Steve Gallier. Casey Flanagan wins over Matt Cooper. Scott Masters wins over Jake Morris or Jack Morse. Adam Forgey loses to Connor McKay. Bobby Cochran wins over Oliver Simonson. Jake Reeves loses to Lucas Armstrong. Audie Johnson loses to Mike Albanetti. Andrew Bateman loses to Todd Bergen. Greg Wyatt wins over Matt Mitchell. Braxton Hunter loses to Lee Maxwell. Chris Dibble loses to Tim Jackson, and Lauren Personette wins over Jeff Gallier. Overall score being 12-20. to 20. So congratulations to the TGA. Um, the foursome really got y'all, or really did it for y'all this year. Amazing playing there, guys. So congratulations to everybody making this, this team. This is an indicator of the players who are out there playing well, winning throughout the tournaments. Um, heard several names that have mentioned Bill Breen, I think won six or seven of the senior events this year. Uh, Johan Koch has actually played in the PJ Championship three or four times now. Um, I know three in a row, I think four times officially now. Jared Melson, friend of the show, who's played uh, multiple events. So again, a lot of really good players out there. So congrats out there, everybody. So the Tennessee PJ will have their Las Vegas Pro-Am coming up uh, next week. So I'll have some results from that, hopefully, on the show. But now we're going straight to the listeners' questions. Um, so this one actually coming from one of my students who's listened to the uh, podcast. Thank you, Fred, for that one. Um, but Fred came in with, he's hitting it really good and seeing a major benefit on the range, but he can't seem to take it to the course. And we've seen this over the years, range syndrome, or can't take your game from the range to the course. And I've talked about it a little bit on the show before, but we'll go ahead and go dive back into this one. Um, so the biggest thing, and exactly how I answered Fred's question on this one, um, it's playing holes on the course. I've talked about for years with my students how we get in this habit of hit and drag, whether we're on the range or in the bay for the lesson. It's hit a shot and you've got another one ready to go no sooner than the ball lands and hits the ground, um, in some cases even sooner than that. And so roughly you're hitting three or four shots a minute on the driving range. And so you get into this rhythm. So even if you're making a bad swing or a bad move, you're able to find this rhythm and actually start making solid contact, and you can see better performance. Um, and then you get on the golf course and you're roughly hitting a shot every four to five minutes. And so that timing can't be there. So you don't see that happen, um, is one of the things. 
that we talk about. The other thing that we talk about quite often is target awareness. When you're hitting balls into the vast array of a driving range, you've got 50, 75, even 100 yards left or right that you can miss a ball and still be in the range. But as soon as you get on the golf course, all of a sudden the fairways become appearing to be more narrow, only 30 and 40 yards wide. And then you have trees and hazards and out-of-bounds and, and penalty areas and all these things that can really creep into the mental side of it. And so you, then you become too target-focused and you start trying to guide your shots out there. Um, so again, like I told Fred, the, the biggest thing I like to do here is play golf on the range. Um, I've done this for years if I'm unable to go to a golf course and play the practice round, but I've played it before and kind of know it if I'm getting ready for a tournament. I, I will step up and visualize the hole. Um, you know, if we use uh, number one at Hillwood Country Club uh, as an example, so it's a slight dogleg left with a creek running down the left side in front of the green. So if I'm playing that hole, I know it's not a driver hole. Um, so I'm hitting three wood or hybrid or something like that. So I, I start to get on the driving range and I visualize the trees running down the left and the right side. And I, I use flags as those indicators. And then I'll pick out something in the in the target area or in the far end of the range to represent the tree that I'll kind of aim at. And, and then I'll hit the shot. And if I hit it good, I know what club I'll have left, left into, you know, what kind of yards it is, about 110, 120 yards. So now I want to grab a wedge. So now I rebuild the green. Um, and by slowing that down and hitting a shot um, once every three or four minutes, just like I would on golf course, I'm able to make the range experience more like I am when I'm playing. And so that way it doesn't seem to bother me or, or, or get to me as much. Um, so, again, one of the biggest things to slow down the driving range, it's not hit. It's not how many golf balls you can hit in 30 minutes. It's how many good shots you can hit in 30 minutes. And by slowing it down and just taking your time and making it more like the real world experience, you'll actually start to see that groove. Now, I like block practice. I like hitting balls to get that feeling. But at some point, you've got to get out of this just hitting golf balls and going to the golf course and taking it there. And that's where slowing down and playing some holes will help. So, Fred, I hope that one helps you out. Um, if you have any more questions, let me know. I'll see you next week. Um, we'll go from there. Next listener question coming in from Neil talking about how to hit the ball when it's below or above your feet uh, on the course. And where do you practice and simulate this? Well, again, most driving ranges are going to be very flat surfaces, so it's going to be tough to practice this unless you're on the golf course. Um, the biggest things that I look at here is if the ball is above your feet, it's going to have a tendency for a right-handed player to want to work a little bit more left, so you need to line up a little right. The next thing you need to do is actually choke down on the club, make the club a little bit shorter. Um, and also, while you're doing this, you might want to take an extra club. So if you're an 8-iron distance, because we're going to make the club shorter and choke down on it, let's grab a 7-iron so we can get that little, little bit lower loft to give us a little, a little bit better shot out of it. But we choke down, uh, again, depending on how much of an elevation, um, but we choke down closer to the, the shaft on the grip, and then we just make a move, smooth swing. That's why we took the extra club to help with that. Um, now, if the ball's below your feet, we're going to want to kind of do the same thing um, as far as take the extra club, but we're going to bend a little bit more from our hips 
so that we're trying to match our spine angle to the ground level. And this is going to help us stay down and through the shot. And again, we're taking the extra club so we don't have to swing as hard. So the biggest thing I normally look at is, again, just take the extra club and make a smoother swing. If you've got this outlying factor of the lie angle or the lie that's going to create a curvature left draw or, or push fade depending on right-handed, left-handed, and, and what the condition is, take the extra club and take a smoother swing. When we make the smoother swing, we tend to hit a little bit more crisp, a little bit more solid, and the side spin doesn't pull it as far offline. So, Neil, if you're working, listen to this one. Again, just kind of choke down on the club. If the ball's above your feet, bend over a little bit more. If the ball's below your feet, take an extra club and just make a smooth swing. Now, this one coming in from Tommy, uh, talking about green reading. He said, mentioned that I had talked about it on the show not too long about the green reading books and was just curious how those worked um, and my thoughts on them. So, Tommy, I know the books mean a lot. Um, I've played in several events over the years where I've had access to a green reading book, and it makes a huge difference. By walking up to the green, I already have an idea which way the, the directions are pointing. Now, if you don't want to buy the books, and again, if you're playing the same course all the time, I would highly recommend you getting a green reading book, and there's a lot of companies out there. I'm not endorsing one over the other, but I know Stracalign, I know um, Golf Logics, and I know PuttView are all doing some form of a green reading book, so you can do your research and find others. Um, personally, I have a break raster, and when I'm going out to golf courses, um, getting ready for tournaments, I'll be able to put the brake master down and it actually reads degrees of slope and it helps me know where the low point of a, of a section is. Now, at quick glances, I'll do quadrants. Um, so I'll do the front right, the front left, back right, back left, and just kind of put it in the middle and see where those are. And then I'll put it in the middle of the green to kind of see where there's a, a, a slope there. And that'll kind of give me a good idea of what the green does and reacts. Now, I know there's a lot of mounds and slopes and they can kind of really play with those depending on how tough your golf course is. But if you have those five, kind of like the, the, the five on a dice, just the, the four corners in the middle, uh, you'll kind of have an understanding of which way it goes. Now, it's just a quick glance. The books will do a lot more detail with that. Um, but again, looking at the green reading, if you don't have uh, any of the tools I'm talking about, Tommy, what you can really do is just get out or about 12 feet from the, the hole um, and, and just walk a circle uh, around the hole and what you'll start to do is find when you're walking uphill when you're walking downhill um, when you're tilted leftward when you're tilted rightward and just by noticing all this with your feet and with your balance you'll start to be able to read the greens as well you can start to say well if I feel like I'm walking downhill then the putts breaking the way I'm looking if I feel like I'm walking uphill then the putts breaking away from me um, if I feel like you know, my left side is lower than my right then there's your low point, and so the ball tends to want to go that direction. So using the, the little 12-foot circle, and again, you could expand your circle out to 25 and 30 feet. I just as you get that far away, there's just too big of a loop, and you, you get confused with the information. So really looking at the, the hole from the inside 12 feet um, to get that feeling. But using that, it's a great way just to go to your putting green. Um, go out and practice, walk the 12-foot circle, put some tees down at what you feel your high point, your low point, um, and then if we call those 12 and 6, find your 3 and your 9 opposite positions and start practice putting. And based on the degree of slope, you'll start to visualize 
a little slope, how little break, and a lot of slope, how big of a break um, to use that. So Tommy, spend some time on the putting green, walk around um, if you don't have access to these books. But again, you, you can find them at a lot of different sources. And if you're playing the same golf course over and over, I would highly recommend buying that if you're a member of a private club. And talk to your head professional there. Your club may already have those in the shop and you just didn't realize it. So Tommy, good luck with the green reading books. Again, those were Stracalon, PuttView, and golf logics and golf logics actually has an app you can download to your phone so um next question coming in from seth and it's going back to a fitting question that i mentioned but seth wants to know how much fit clubs help your game so seth the biggest thing here is i do not have a specific number that i can say it helps you 12 shots around it, i just don't i don't have that data um but what i will tell you is properly fit clubs improve your miss your misses are more on target they're not as far offline they tend to be closer distances now i don't mean just your absolute total tops misses and dubs but when you miss hit a shot a little toe a little heel a little high a little low you're going to get closer to normal results with a properly fit club and the reason behind this is the shaft has been detailed to your speed characteristics and your length and uh hand size and wrist to floor measurements again a lot of things that we use um, in the fitting process but by using a club that's designed to help you and load correctly it's going to be more consistent in load at the same rate and the load and unload is actually the power of the club it's how the club lags behind releases through impact and helps give you all your speed so if you get in a club that's too stiff you have to swing it too hard you lose a lot of control and because of that you hit it further offline and lose a lot of distance. You get a shaft that's too whippy, it's loading and unloading too quickly, you're swinging the club faster, but you can't control the face because it's moving so much. So finding some kind of happy medium based on your speeds there. Once we start to get into the length of a club, if the club is too short or too long, it forces you to bend over or stand up too much, which takes you out of your golfing posture. So now you're having to recorrect or recalibrate during the swing to save that shot so your contact suffers drastically then we get into the lie angle of the club and it's just the angle that the club sits on the ground flat but the way that you swing the club will create some type of toe down or again the toe up effect depending on how you drop your hands in um, and as that toe down or toe up effect hits the ball it creates push and pull curvature so if the toe is digging down for a right-handed player it's actually going to leave the face slightly open um, and cause the ball to launch more rightward if you come into it and your toe is up for a left-handed or a right-handed player it's going to close the face and help you hit the ball more leftward and again that's how they really help you with the adjustable drivers not only by moving the weights around but by changing the line goal of the club to help correct your curvature so if your mishits, Seth, are getting closer to the target, you're not having as many punch outs, you're not having as many penalty shots. So again, depending on your skill level, um, as we go through this process, we can really see what's going on. Um, I know I had a uh, phone call with a soon-to-be student that's actually doing a fitting with me in the next couple of days. And they're playing to about a 15-16 handicap, but they're playing some of their father's hand-me-down clubs. Um, and that's why it's time to, to invest and get moving on. But they're playing some of the older tailor-made Tour Preferred product. And again, Tour Preferred was that what the better players like. And if you're a single-digit ha handicap, it's a great club. 
Um, but if you're at a 15, 18 range, that club might be a little too hard to hit. Now, it may be where you want to get your goal to, but it doesn't fit you currently. So it's like saying your kid's going to be six foot tall, so you start buying him longer jeans or you buy him bigger shoes to grow into. So growing into golf clubs sometimes can actually hold you back because the club doesn't perform effectively enough for you. Um, I see this quite often with juniors uh, coming out of high school or, or college that um, their parents had seen the potential or bought them a set of clubs or given the hand-me-downs, and they're just they're they're hurting the game itself. So as we go through that fitting process, Seth, we're trying to dial in clubs for you. Um, again, your miss hits with your irons are going to be more accurate. They're going to be closer to the green. You're still going to miss greens, um, but instead of missing it 20 and 30 yards, you only miss it 5 to 10 yards, and so the chip shops become a little bit easier. Same thing with the drivers. Instead of it being 40 and 50 yards offline, now it's only you know 10 or 20 yards offline. You're finding more fairways. So how much it helps you, I don't have the answer, but I will easily say over the course of a year, properly fit clubs will probably save you 5 to 6 shots. Um, no guarantees on that, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, so a quick way, again, if we look at the distance debate, if you can hit the driver 20 yards further, you're increasing your chance of making birdie some 5 to 10%. So if you do that several holes, easily we can get those five or six shots there. So, Seth, if you haven't been fit, definitely look at it. Um, there's a lot of great places out there. Um, call your local golf shop. Call your big box stores. Uh, I know Club Champion is doing a lot of promotions with Jordan Spieth right now. So there's a lot of great things out there. Um, just search the internet, club fitting in your area. I'm sure somebody will pop up. Well, everybody, it's been a crazy week. We're getting dark awfully quick. So get out and enjoy the beautiful weather over the weekend. Um, start planning your goals for 2021. Let's get over 2020 as quickly as we can. Let's get out for some good golf. Play well. Talk to you all next week. Again, this is Paul Brannon, PJ Professional with Believe at Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can also find us in your favorite directory, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can keep those questions rolling in on Instagram at pbrannon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. Everybody, have a great week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.